Hello there, welcome back to MLEX's weekly podcast where we cover the big regulatory issues of the moment. My name is James Paniki. I'm from MLEX's distinguished Asia-Pacific editorial team. Thank you so much for joining us yet again. Now, anyone who has had to deal with the transfer of data from Europe would be familiar with the name Max Schrems. The privacy activist has repeatedly taken his concerns over data transfers to European courts. And indeed, the issue has just recently percolated through to the EU's highest court. And the decision by the judges at the European Court of Justice is now likely to create major upheaval for companies doing business with the EU. The court ruled that the so-called privacy shield, under which data transfers had been occurring, was invalid. The decision has also restricted the use of another data transfer tool, Standard Contractual Clauses, or SCCs. Today we're going to discuss the impact of that decision, and we'll cross to Mike Swift in the US in just a moment. First, though, I'm joined by Cynthia Crowett, a Brussels-based MLEX reporter who covers technology and telecommunications. Cynthia, remind me first how this all began. Yeah, well, this case is is called SRAMS 2, so that means there's also a SRAMS 1. Um, So back in 2013, um, Austrian privacy uh, activist and lawyer Max Schrems, he filed a complaint with the Irish Data Protection Authority saying that Facebook um, is not really aware of EU data protection laws and uh, when it comes to sending data from Europe to the US. And he filed that with the Irish Data Protection Authority because they have their EU headquarters in in, um, Ireland. And that case ultimately ended up at the EU's highest court, um, and that led to the invalidation of Safe Harbor. And Safe Harbor is this data transfer mechanism that the EU and the US have established, uh, kind of allowing data to flow, flow freely. Well, let's talk about Safe Harbor. What exactly did the judge of the EU's top court say? What were the specifics of it? Well, the court said um, the level of data protection is not um, guaranteed, let's say because the, that the scheme that, that they established would allow for US government interference. So EU data, personal data, was not protected enough. Okay, so what happened after that judgment? Where did they go from there? So after that invalidation, uh, the European Commission and the US uh, established a new mechanism uh, called Privacy Shield. And again, in 2015, SRAMS resubmitted his complaint with the Irish Data Protection Authority because he would still believe that uh, kind of the model contracts that Facebook uses to transfer data from the EU to the US uh, are also not valid and they would still allow for illegal mass surveillance. So that's kind of how we got to this uh, this Schrems 2 case. Okay, so that brings us to the court's recent decision. Tell me something about that. Did it come as a surprise? Well, yeah, the court uh, looked actually at two elements in this case. Um, so first it looked at those model contracts that Facebook uses uh, called standard contractual clauses. So that is a data transfer mechanism. And the court said, well, those uh, those are valid. It's basically a contract between an exporter and an importer of data. And they, well, the court said it's safe to use, but there are legal obligations. So it's not something you just kind of sign once and forget about. But because of changes in national laws or types of data, um, it could still have an impact. So companies should continue to kind of assess this on a case by case basis. So that's, that's one element. Uh, the second element is, is privacy shield, so this, this transfer deal. And they said there are elements specific to US national law uh, when it comes to public authorities you know, uh, having access to personal data for security purposes. 
um, which are not compatible with EU law. So still EU personal data is not protected uh, sufficiently. So privacy shield is invalidated. Okay, so the so-called privacy shield is now out of play. Uh, what's next for business in the EU that needs to transfer data to the US? What do they do? Well, first of all, they, they need to check if they are using Privacy Shield as their main data transfer mechanism. And because it's illegal, they will have to think about a plan B. Um, if they want to continue transferring data, they can use those standard contractual clauses, as we just explained. But they will have to see kind of what type of data they use. So it might mean that they have to you know, use um, additional measures to allow the data to be transferred safely. Um, GDPR, the EU's data protection regulation, also allows for other data transfer deals. Um, but it it's, has to be said that you know, the full scope of this, this um, ruling still has to be seen. We do know that there will be an extra burden on uh, national data protection authorities because ultimately they will have to assess whether deals or any mechanism that companies establish um, if they are compatible with, um, with EU law. So that, that we know, and we know that they are currently discussing on EU level kind of to harmonise this and to come with a coherent approach. But either way, the concern is obviously that this is going to be a burden on business, that this is going to require uh, additional resources and additional attention on their part. That's true, yeah. There's quite a lot of legal uncertainty, and I guess all sort of privacy professionals are, are, are seeing how to best you know keep transferring data in a safe way that is... Um, legal. What about the European Commission? What can the EU executive and regulator do at this stage? Is it likely to work on a new privacy shield? Well, kind of in the first reaction after the judgment, the Commission said um, EU-US data flows can still continue. And that's indeed true on the basis of those uh, standard contractual clauses. But they also said that they will be working on the, those other tools that are available on the GDPR to update them in light of this judgment. Um, we also know that it's not really a secret that the Commission has not been very happy about the fact that the US does not have a federal privacy law. Uh, we knew that from the annual assessments that they did about Privacy Shield. Uh, but experts have also been saying that you know if there will be a successor to Safe Harbor and Privacy Shield, that could only come up after the November presidential elections probably. So it's still kind of both sides of the Atlantic are still processing the judgments and um, the practical outcomes. Cynthia, thank you so much for that. Thank you for your recent reporting. I'll speak to you again soon. Bye. Thank you, James. Bye. Cynthia Croat is a technology and telecoms reporter from MLEX based in Brussels. And listening in on that conversation from San Francisco was Mike Swift, MLEX's chief global correspondent for digital risk. Now, Mike, uh, by discussing the privacy shield, we've uh, clearly placed the emphasis on data exchanges from the EU to the US. But is this just an issue between the US and Europe? No, it's not. Uh, this is very much a global issue. And uh, if you look around the world, there are certainly winners and losers uh, because of this decision. Okay, so who are the winners and who are the losers? Are there other major jurisdictions that are likely to lose out from this? So uh, any country that has an adequacy uh, agreement with the Europe, European Union is really a winner. So you could say Japan is in that list. Um, Brazil has just passed a comprehensive data protection law that seems to be a very close fit with Europe's GDPR. So um, it's likely that 
Um, they have a good chance at getting adequacy with the EU. And uh, the other 12 uh, nations that already have adequacy agreements um, are certainly in the category of winners. Um, Korea is another country that's uh, trying to negotiate an adequacy agreement. So really, all of those countries are, are really in pretty good shape. And Mike, what about the idea that US companies will now want to store more data in the EU without repatriating that data? Is that a feasible prospect? It is for a lot of them. Uh, They could lease space in existing data centers in Europe. They could build their own if they're big enough to do that. Um, but there's so much uncertainty now um, about uh, uh, the, you know, what will succeed the privacy shield. I, I think for smaller companies, that's not going to be as feasible, though. And so um, they are very much focused on uh, the negotiation of you know, whatever comes next after privacy shield. And there is, I suppose, a judgmental aspect to this EU ruling in a way. I mean, there's the suggestion that the U.S. and its lack of a national privacy law poses privacy risks. Is that the way this has been read in the US? There's certainly some of that, James. And and I think that this is yet another uh, reason why uh, it's really imperative on the US Congress to pass, a, you know, a national data protection law. But um, unfortunately, um, that's been the case for a long time, and Congress hasn't really been able to get there. Uh, the US political process is so fraught right now because of partisan uh, division as we're going into a presidential election, that is not clear when that's going to happen, but it's certainly not going to be until a year after the election, 2021 or more likely 2022. Um, So for the near term, um, you know, I think the focus is going to be more on shoring up the uh, ombudsperson uh, aspect of Privacy Shield and, and giving European citizens more uh, redress if they have uh, an issue with um, uh, U.S. intelligence uh, data gathering. As a sidebar issue there, of course, there are state jurisdictions in the U.S. that do have stronger privacy protections. I mean, everyone's mentioned the example of California. Uh, is the possibility of California-EU negotiation to uh, to, to finalize a deal. Is that, is that feasible? Is that possible? Well, EU officials say that it definitely is. And uh, in fact, California now has a, a new comprehensive privacy law. But by the end of this year, uh, Californians are going to be voting on an even stronger law that would move California much closer to the GDPR and really even surpass the GDPR in some areas of privacy protection, such as uh, for children. Uh, and also for location data. So that would put California in, in um, it would appear, a very good position to try and negotiate an adequacy agreement like that. And potentially that could be one way that regulation might be an economic boon to California. Okay, now Cynthia mentioned possible next steps on the part of the EU. What is likely to happen on the US side? Who gets to negotiate uh, these things, given that there is this Uh, lack of a central uh, national privacy uh, law. Right. Well, as Cynthia mentioned, everybody's still trying to digest this court, uh, this very lengthy court decision. And the United States Department of Commerce has signaled that they are going to step forward to negotiate this. What I'm hearing from talking to um, uh, industry in the last few days is there's optimism that um, they feel that 
the uh, U.S. government has realized what's at stake here, the incredible value of more than $7 trillion of um, digital products and services going back and forth across the Atlantic. And so it's going to be a, a very high priority item for commerce to, to negotiate. So I think there's a feeling of optimism that something will get done. But there's also a lot of uncertainty and some real concern. Tell me something about the Privacy and Civil Liberties Oversight Board. What is it and what kind of a role might it play in finding a solution? Sure. So the uh, the PCLOB is one of the very few agencies in the United States federal government that actually has privacy in its name. And um, some members of that board feel like it's possible that they could play um, a more direct role in whatever uh, – data sharing agreement succeeds the privacy shield. Um, nobody knows exactly how that would work yet, but there's a feeling that uh, the P-Club could be uh, one factor uh, in a solution. Um, as one member of the board told me the other day, um, we don't think there's going to be one silver bullet. We can't be that silver bullet, but you know maybe we can be one factor along with uh, the U.S. passing a national privacy law, along with maybe changes to the ombudsman uh, that would respond to European complaints. And maybe if we put all these things together, it'll be enough to, uh, to get a, a new agreement in place. Mike, Cynthia mentioned earlier on standard contractual clauses, SCCs. Tell me something about how you see them fitting into the picture and just uh, remind me how they work. So SCCs were really the uh, impetus for the Schrems II decision and his challenge. And um, uh, what the European Court of Justice found was that um, that basic mechanism could work but that um, uh, when it's being used, that exporters of data from Europe really need to pay more attention to uh, the destination of that data and making sure that there are adequate protections in those jurisdictions. And so what, what one lawyer I heard uh, liken these decisions to um, really two bridges that were inspected by a group of structural engineers. And with Privacy Shield, the finding was we can't send any trains over that bridge. It's not safe. But with uh, standard contractual clauses, the feeling is, all right, we can send trains, but we really have to look very carefully at the, the contents of each train and the destination of each train. And that is going to put um, a lot more pressure on uh, companies to be careful about how they use that mechanism. So uh, even though it was uh, it was judged to be valid by the court, it's going to really create more risk uh, for companies to use that, and they're going to need to be a lot more careful about when they do use that mechanism. Mike, it's been great uh, talking to you. Thank you so much for introducing us to the acronym P-Club. That will stay with us for, for many years to come, and I'll speak to you next time. It's an immortal one. Thanks, James. <laughs> Bye. Mike Swift is MLEX's Chief Global Correspondent for Digital Risk, of which there is clearly an abundance at the moment, and you can find reporting on the recent ECJ decision and its implications at the MLEX website, mlexmarketinsight.com. That's M-L-E-X marketinsight.com. Also, if you haven't done so already, don't forget to download our special report on the Unoil prosecution by the UK's Serious Fraud Office, written by Martin Coyle and Annie Robertson from our London team. It's a great read. It's highly informative, uh, even if foreign bribery isn't usually your jam. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. I'm James Paniki, Asia-Pacific Senior Editor with MLEX, and we'll be continuing throughout the Northern Hemisphere summer. So we'll be back in your feed next Friday at more or less the same time. Bye for now. Bye for now.